In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Guys, are you sick and tired of this world telling you that masculinity, biblical manhood, is somehow toxic? Are you sick and tired of objective things like gender being subjectified? If you're sick and tired of this world telling you you can't leverage your strength as a man, you will love this episode where we discuss and dive deep into letting the world feel the full weight of who you are and letting them deal with it. Stay tuned. Men in the Arena Army, I salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast, Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. I'm Jim Ramos, your host today, and your guide to helping you become your best version of the man that God has made you to be in the stress bubble and beyond. So, guys, it's great to have you tuning in with us today. And before we get in here, I want to jump into our man laws. Remember, our man laws are supplied by you, our listeners, when we use your man law we will, or your hero story, we will send you some swag. So this week's man law comes from Chad Greenway. And Chad says this, never buy a candle unless it's a gift for your wife, your mom, or your daughter. And then I want to add a couple things to that, though. Unless it's in response to the emergency broadcast system. Sometimes you got to buy candles, you know, in case something goes down. And I would also add, just to make this a black and white man law, never... If you have to buy a candle for any reason, emergency broadcast system, survival, whatever, never, ever, ever buy a scented candle. So, hey, guys, I do want to let you know that if you go to our website, we have a free resource that's been up for about a year and a half now called Tell Them, What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. That resource is coming down in the next couple weeks. We're going to upload a new resource for you called Man Laws, 100 Ways to Have Your Man Card Revoked and rules to live by. So every one of our 100 man laws, and they're designed, a lot of them are designed to be funny, but every one is followed up with a life rule that will really help you to be your best version. So it is a fun book, but there is a serious component to it. Guys, you're going to love this resource. It should be uploaded probably in the next month or two, I'm hoping before Thanksgiving. So guys, want to jump into our hero story. Our hero story came in this week from California, from Scott Noble. Scott writes this. I had a great life when I was young. I was not raised religious, but the idea of God always felt like home to me. I struggled in school with dyslexia, and I started using drugs and alcohol at the age of 13. This was something that brought me comfort and, wreck and wrecked my life. At age 18, I started doing heroin. I went in and out of rehab, and at 21, I got clean and sober. Congratulations on that, Scott. Got married and had two beautiful kids, but in November of 2020, my wife kicked me out of the house. The last three years have been the hardest of my life, 
if I had given my life to the Lord eight years ago or got sober 13 years ago, I would not be here today. But I recently got engaged, and I still have such a strong desire to be a solid man. Thank you for what you guys are doing to improve and provide sound guidance from Christian men. Scott, thanks so much for that. Hit us up, you guys, at info at manandarena.org with your physical address, and we will shoot you some swag. Hey, guys, you're going to love our guest today, guys. I want to introduce you, Elliot Hulse. Elliot is a strongman competition competitor, strength coach, and mentor to nearly 2.4 million on YouTube. He has 539,000 on Instagram. His goal is to make men strong and become the strongest version of themselves. Elliot is married to his high school sweetheart, Colleen. He's a father of four children, and he's a first-generation American coming to us to the U.S. from my favorite country, Belize. It's so good to have Elliot on the podcast with us today. Elliot, how are you doing, man? All is well. Thank you for having me. Man, I'm excited to get you. Belize. So now when you said you went to St. John's, you go to St. John's in New York or St. John's in Minnesota? New York, Queens. Okay, because my son played football last year against St. John's in, in Minnesota. And I was trying to, I figured it was in Queens, but I wasn't 100% sure. So, well, man, it's great to have you. I kind of, little spoiler alert on your uh, your college football career. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and what makes you tick? And just uh, our audience wants to know your, your history and your story and to get a better perspective. Well, football has a lot to do with it. Uh, but we can backtrack a little bit more to when I was probably four, four, five, six years old. My uncle lived with me and he is from Belize, like you mentioned. And he was a uh, black belt in Northern Shaolin Kung Fu. He ran marathons. He was a, a gymnast, a, a, a medal winner in high school. And then by, about the time that I was born, he's my mother's sister, brother. Um, he got into bodybuilding. He got into, um, no, I'm sorry. When I was young, he was still into martial arts. And he used to do like backflips and chop bricks with his hands and beat up this bag in my basement and would teach me and my little brother how to do all that stuff. So I was kind of like born with this barbell in my hand, if you, if you could yeah. say as a metaphor. Um, but by the time I got into high school, I wanted to play football and he got into bodybuilding. And so that's how the weightlifting bug bit me. Uh, okay. It turned out to have a, a knack for building muscle and getting stronger. You know, God bless me with these genetics, but also with a mentor at a very critical time in my life. And so I took to strength training as much as I did to football. Luckily, I was able to receive a college scholarship. I played football at St. John's, as you brought up before. But my real love was lifting. And so uh, even when I was in high school, I'd bring my high school football friends over and they would lift with me in my basement. And then when I was in college, they would all travel out to Long Island and lift with me at my house. By the time I graduated, I knew for a fact that I was going to be a strength coach for my life. And so I opened... Long story short, you know, I don't want to get too laborious about it, but um, I opened Strength Camp Gym in St. Petersburg, Florida in 2007, about the same time that I started making YouTube videos because YouTube just came out 2006, oh, wow. 2007. Yeah, so I've got videos up from like as soon as YouTube started and I didn't know what I was doing. My intention with YouTube was to help me get more clients to my strength camps, which were, you know, strength training boot camps out in the park where we do like strongman stuff, which back then wasn't as prevalent as it is now so i gained in popularity because i was pushing pushing cars and uh, uh and flipping tires and lifting stones and dragging sleds one that was kind of um unheard of nobody really see, saw that before so i'm kind of a pioneer in that on the on, on the youtube space but um 
I was able to build my strength camp gym, but at the same time, I started making these videos and I recognized that people worldwide were watching them. And so uh, I got into the digital space around that time too. So I'm sort of an OG on YouTube and that's why I have so many followers. I've been around since the beginning. Wow. Yeah, when I saw that, I thought this guy is a pioneer, a digital pioneer. Yeah, I was creating eBooks and courses back in 2009. Um, I knew that I always want to be a strength coach, but being a private strength coach in uh, the ghetto of St. Petersburg, Florida, I mean, literally I, I crack addicts and prostitutes down my block. Um, I probably wasn't going to be able to raise the family, raise mm -hmm, my family mm -hmm. the way I wanted to. So I very quickly got into supplementing my gym income with creating uh, football strength training, eBooks and, um, you know, powerlifting, bodybuilding courses and so i kind of like built myself up in that way as well so that i could you know put food on the table for six well and it seemed as i as i followed your career like i said you've been out there for a long time and how old are you 43 or 4 43 43 okay that's what i thought okay so but it seems like somewhere in there there was a shift spiritually for you was there a shift in there where you kind of were like man i need to implement this into my strength training it's always been who i am it's been there from the beginning okay people may or may not have perceived it but part of the reason why my yo elliot videos became so popular was because i wasn't just answering strength training questions there always was an element of soul yeah. and so you know i spoke of becoming the strongest version of yourself and people very quickly caught on that oh this guy's not just talking about weightlifting mm. and so the 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 spiritual side is, and my, you know, carnal nature, meaning strong man, picking things up and, and being a beast, um, have always been together. Uh, mm -hmm. From the time I was very young, I was very drawn towards religion and God. And it stems from being uh, Belizean in, 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 a, in Long Island, right? So in Belize, yeah. as you probably perceive, there's a lot of race mixing. So yes. in Belize, you know, you got you got people that look like me but don't speak Spanish. And so growing up, people would ask me all the time, like, Elliot, what are you? What are you? What are you? And so that turns out to be a existential question that people pose probably when they reach a crisis in life. But yeah, I'm here like 10 years old and I'm like, what am I? And yeah. it led me to the philosophy section of the library. <laughs> and I started learning about quantum physics. Right. And for whatever it's worth. I discovered that I'm not just this physical flesh suit that I am a, mm -hmm. I'm a spiritual being. I was raised Catholic and went to CCD was baptized and all that, but really not catechized to the degree that I would have sought the Bible for my answers. I was you know, raised in the public school system in New York city. So I figured let me study philosophy and it opened my, it opened my heart to God, you mm. know, nonetheless. That, you know, that you bring back memories of when you said CCD, man, I'll tell you what I went through. First Communion, Baptism, CCD. We ran some nurses out of there. I mean, I had a CCD <laughs> class with all rambunctious fifth, fourth and fifth graders, and we just chewed nuns up and spit them out. So, uh, yeah, that was a fun <laughs> memory. So, so your whole, you know, everything revolves around strength. You know, I resonate uh, with your with your uh, business because I our our ministry vision is to help men become their best version. And I'm a weightlifter, football guy, the whole nine yards. And so I resonate with what you're doing. So when guys 
people see guys like you and I walk into the room, they think uh, meathead, shallow, uh, this and that. They kind of throw a judgment out there. But there's something going on below the surface that they don't see. You're talking about something way deeper than than meets right. the eyes. So when you think when you say you are about making men strong, what and we're going to dive into your three areas a little bit later, but what does how do you define strength? Well, well, most know me through a term that I would use that I popularized, which was to become the strongest version of yourself. Yes. Um, people might not know that, but I'm the first guy to start saying that, at least on YouTube. You're I broke it down. I've never heard that before. You're the only guy I've ever heard say it. Strongest version of you. Yeah. And so uh, there are layers to that. And so I tried to break it down for my subscribers way back in 2013 when I began. And so, of course, there's the most superficial layer. It's the neuromuscular system, right? Like we, th the world likes to try to convince us that there's some virtue in being weak, right? Yeah, like correct. Soy boys and or that girls can be strong too. No, they will never be as strong as a man's physical body. It, 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 there's, you can't redefine true strength in the overcoming of resistance. You either can lift Correct. it or you don't. And it's totally a function of the neuromuscular system. Can your brain and, and, and peripheral nervous system generate the amount of electric power to get those synapses going in the muscle to pick that thing up? I mean, that's... That's a that's a skill and it's a and it's a gift. So there's neuromuscular strength. It's about muscles, right? There's no you don't need to go much deeper than that. But then there's physiology, right? And so to the degree that our physiology is well, is to the degree that we'll be able to perform physically as an athlete, we're thinking, right? So are you sleeping well? Are you getting enough? Are you hydrated enough? Are you eating the right foods? Are you staying free from toxins? Are you you see what I'm saying? So yep. all the various things that support your physiology your organs is a little bit more it's a little deeper it's a little bit more subtle then there's energetic strength and energetic strength is sort of psychological it's psychological but it's physical i call it energetic but it's emotional right and so emotional is, emotion is is the physical manifestation of a metaphysical reality which is you know thoughts thoughts are metaphysical you don't have a you, you can't pick up a thought but the thought yeah. will change your body. It will change the way you feel about yourself. It'll change the way you think about yourself. It'll change the way you perform. And so we have to take into consideration our emotions. And so energetic strength is a lot about uh, being aware of our emotions, not letting our emotions control us. You know, we, as Christians, we say the passions, right? Like mm -hmm, not, mm -hmm. not being a slave to your passions, right? Can you be disciplined in saying no to the thing that feels good, right? Uh, and so there's so much of that because there's so many disordered emotions and ways that we can be that we want to be mindful of that layer of strength. And then, of course, the the, the final and the, the, the you could say the alpha and the omega, right, is spirit, is spiritual strength. Right. And so this is a it's a being aspect of us. It's a trusting aspect of it. It's, it's faith. Right. Letting go and allowing God to be the uh, CEO, if you will, of our life, rather than you know allowing our will and our emotions and our hopes, our fears and our dreams to be the motivating driving force. It's much more resourceful and more in alignment with the image of God that we are. Mm -hmm. to trust the Father and allow Him to reveal to us our mission, our vision, and our path in this world, and then offer it all back up to Him. So it's really interesting because. 
in the Christian circles, I get pushback sometimes about the there's a there's a huge push towards building the spirit, and there's kind of a disdain at sometimes for the physical. In fact, there's a Bible verse in I think it's a Second Timothy says for physical training is of little value, right? But we're talking about men 2,000 years ago who had manual labor jobs, who were walking everywhere. These guys were working out every day of the week without working out. So we in the church say, well, this is not uh, important. What do you say to people when they, and I'm sure you get the critics that say, hey, you know what? You're way overemphasizing the physical. It's just, it just isn't, Scripture doesn't deal with it. How do you handle that? Well, when they say it's unimportant, it's not so black and white. There's a spectrum. And of course, yeah. we're ordered towards the eternal. Yeah. And the eternal is our soul and spirit. And so when they say it's not important, I understand. I understand because this will turn to dust. Mm -hmm. It's from dust to dust. But at the same time, God created his this world out of his love and, and, and his love for beauty. <clears throat> and the human body is God's awesome creation. Yeah. <laughs> we cannot deny that, th that the human body is a, is unique in its, uh, in its form and its function. And if we are literally made in the likeness and image of God, there is something divine about this human creature you know as a strength coach you've probably heard form equals function yeah well, we, you, you don't separate the function of being a son of god from the form that we're in the, the, the form equals a function mm -hmm. human beings are just that right children of god they the monkeys aren't like us <laughs> they the, the the other animals that they try to compare us to that they say we evolved from don't compare at all Correct. to yeah. the form of the human from the as deep as you want to go physiologically, but also outwardly, the beauty of the body is the beauty of God's mastery and, and development of creation. So to denigrate it, uh, to, uh, to, to, to speak poorly of it, or to say that it is of no great value misses the point completely. It misses the reason why God made us. So that is I, to glorify well, I, him I, through our body. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. You know, one of the fruit of the spirits in Galatians five twenty two and 23 Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So when I look at your body or you look at my body, you can go, okay, well, we see if he's got that fruit in his life. That's the first thing. <laughs> right. Second thing is this. Second Corinthians 6 says, don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? So we should honor and steward the temple that God lives in, right, as Christians. And then first, Second Corinthians 4, I think it's 16 or might be 18. For that which is seen as the eye is temporal, but that which is unseen is eternal. But it's 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 coupling those two together, right? Not discounting one for the other because the Holy Spirit lives in us. I think this is something in the church. I just see this in the church a lot, and especially with – and I, I love the church. I'm involved in a local church. I'm a leader in a local church. But to see you know uh, people who don't care or put any effort into – their physical body, I think it really harms not only themselves, but it does harm to some level their Christian witness. That's my theory, but I may be wrong. Yeah. yeah so I would agree. So, I agree with you fully. And I am happy that you brought up those virtues because your your body will it will define your virtue. It will show your virtue, right? If you have no self-control, you have no discipline, you have no commitment, 
uh, it's going to show up in the flabs of skin hanging off your belt. Well, the things we put into our body manifest in how our body looks, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sugar, you know, it, it, all of these right. things have a, a cause and effect. And this is maybe this is why in the church we shrink back from that. We hear the phrases frat shaming. And I'm like, and, and to me, I go, OK, I, I get that. I understand that. But at some point, we've got to take ownership of our body and repent of our right. gluttony. And we live in a world that's incredibly gluttonous, you know, so I appreciate what right. you're doing to help it. You know, when I went, when I, when I was, you know, surfing around and looking at your videos, I had a great time looking at your videos and listening. Your most recent reels are really powerful, by the way. I really did appreciate them. Um, on your website, you seem to dive into, and you really seem to hammer guys in three areas. And I want to conquer these areas and just get your take on them and why you've narrowed it down to these three. So the first area, and this is again, making men their strongest version. So guys, if you are listening, we aren't, we aren't saying this or that. We're saying that to make, you have to identify your weak areas and make them strong. So we're looking at making you your strongest version of a man. So the first area is restoring traditional masculinity. So I, I, I love this masculinity has come under fire. And if you look in the dictionary, masculinity is doing things that equate to a man. So, so masculinity is never toxic. Males are toxic. So I love what you do and you just bring in masculinity. So when you talk about traditional masculinity, what do you mean by traditional? I think the best way to approach that is to look at what non-traditional is by ah. peeking into the world that we live at, we're in today, right? Um, I, and I'm going to preface this by saying that masculinity is objective. It's not a subjective thing. Subjectivity is feminine. Not that there's something wrong with it, yes. but that's just the, that's the energy of that, uh, that, that essence, that thinking is to be subjective. This whole idea that you can just define a man however you want is one of the most unmasculine things ever. Every society had standards, had a moral code, had a structure by which a man, oh boy, is molded into a man. It's not an arbitrary thing. In contrast to what we have today, or, or in contrast to traditional masculinity, what we have today is subjectivity. You yes. have a vagina, you're not a man. I feel like I'm a man and I, 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 I'm cutting my boobs off. So maybe I am a man. It doesn't work that way. It's not a subjective thing. It's, and so when I speak of traditional masculinity, it's all that silliness. Uh, even the way a man carries himself with what I think uh, Thomas Aquinas calls Maurizia, softness, effeminacy, just the way you look, just because you have a penis does not make you a man. You're a boy, you're a male. But if you carry yourself with languish, you carry yourself uh, in a in a undignified way. You're weak and you don't take care of yourself, and your your hair is a mess, and you're addicted to video games, and you're watching pornography all day, and jerking off, and uh, smoking weed, and just being a, a loser. That doesn't qualify as as being a man because you're taking no responsibility. You're taking, you, and here's the thing too, we live in a time where men are wanting back their authority, but not willing to take responsibility. To be a man is, is hard. That's another thing. 
to be a man is it requires self-sacrifice. It requires mortification. It requires saying no to the parts of ourselves that will that will inevitably sink back into effeminacy. Wanting mommy, wanting pleasure, wanting the things that give us sensual gratification. All this is all this eats away at the masculine frame. All these things make you less of a man. And so when I say traditional masculinity, I often bring up images of what strong men even 100 years ago looked like. Our, our, even our grandfathers, it started going downhill with the boomers, but even that the generation before that, they weren't taking up their the responsibility of showing their children that live, especially their men, that living with responsibility and carrying your authority with dignity and to allow the challenges of life not to break you or to turn you into a crack addict uh, is the way to be. I, I'll tell you what, I've never heard it phrased that way before. And I love what you said. Masculinity is objective. And did you say effeminate? What did you say is or and effeminate or feminism is subjective? Is that what you said? Well, feminist fem women are more subjective given that they they have to turn their intention in on themselves because they give babies. And so for a woman to be more solipsistic, to be more focused on self, to be more wrapped up in her own thoughts and emotions is proper to her station. There's nothing not to say that there's nothing wrong with it because if it could it could be disordered as well. We want it to be, you know, just because it's our 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 sin nature doesn't mean that it's right, but it's more acceptable, it's more understandable because of you know, the female nature. But a man is oriented oriented outward. Yes. Just think of it this way. Just look at the organs themselves. A vagina is is subjective. It takes in. It's inward focused. A penis rises and projects outward. The outward projection is 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 the antithesis to subjectivity. It's a focus on what is real, what is what what can I see, taste, touch, and measure. It's it's not a matter of what do I feel. That's subjectivity. So that's why I say that it's more it's more natural to a woman's station to be subjective about her feeling because she takes things in and works them. Where for men, it's more open your eyes, look, pay attention. What is real? What's out there? What's mm -hmm. objective? Mm -hmm. And so the with the rise. Uh, and so when a man is effeminate, he has a subjective view of masculinity and not objective. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Correct. OK, and because so, there's a because it's pleasing. Yes. Not as absolutely. easy. Well, you, you reminded me when you quoted Thomas Aquinas, which I actually watched one of your videos where you did that as well. I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, where Paul says, this is really powerful, uh, Elliot. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the, king the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Now, now this word effeminate, he's not talking homosexuals. He's lumped this its own word. And that word that he uses is the word that Aquinas was quoting. It's that Greek word. It's not homosexual. Right. It's not a person who cheats on his wife. It's this guy who does not embrace the strongest version of his masculinity. So when you're quoting Aquinas, I'm just resonate with that going, man, that is in the Bible, man. So that is yeah. super cool. So, so, and then the other thing I want to respond to is 
you know, when God made Adam, he made him outside the garden in the wilderness. And when he made Eve, he made her in the garden. And this is what you're talking about as men want to display their masculine strength in the wild, in the strength. You know, they want to, you know, to, to walk fully exposed with their sex. You know, we're the only animal on the planet, on the planet that walks fully exposed with our, you know, upright with our sex organs exposed essentially. And this is what I hear you saying when I'm hearing you say traditional masculinity is anything you want to add there? Well, I mean, the, the, it's such a rich topic. It is because it, it there's it's been so perverted today. But I think the easiest thing to do, I, I don't know, maybe I'm nostalgic. Maybe I, you know, tend to uh, glorify the past, even though I've never been to it. But I think the best way to really get a grip on what traditional masculinity is is look at the way men carry themselves, say in the 1950s, mm-hmm. even the way they dressed, the way we spoke, the way we walked the things that we held dear to ourselves, the way we related to women. You know, the whole sexual revolution of the 1960s unleashed sex, so we're having more sex, but men are less masculine as a result. Because when there's birth control pills, when contraception is allowed, when uh, abortion is the you know meal of the day, mm-hmm. uh, men then become subject to women, as opposed to the natural order where the man is the head of the woman. Once the woman has the has weaponized sex which has happened through the 1960s that's why we're so diabolically disoriented right now men don't know what to do with women and women just can't stand men uh it's because of the the uh the releasing of or the unchaining of of chastity and so men become actually more effeminate the more they're promiscuous with women and I see it all the time with these guys, they become addicted to a woman's sex. It used to be that the woman would become addicted to a man, you know, don't, you know, you would say, don't have sex with the girl. She's going to come addicted to you. She's going to become attached to you. That's not the case any longer because mm. these women are having sports sex. So they pump and dump with zero remorse. It's the guys that in, you know, the ones that come to me and, and ask me questions and are in my inner circle, teaching them, coaching them, they're the ones who are falling in love with these girls because they're having orgasms with them out of wedlock and mm-hmm. the girls are walking all over them. And so it's just one more form of how pre-1960s, it, that wasn't the case. After the 1960s, then you know this because all you got to do is look at hippie men with their long hair. They yep. started becoming women because of free sex. Free sex makes men weak. And now we have porn, you know, so on your phone all day long. Well, and the funny part about porn is that porn actually uh, we have quotes from famous people. John Mayer saying, hey, I'd rather uh, go watch porn and masturbate than be with a real woman. And so the porn actually lowers the sex drive. And if you go back 2000 years when Paul's preaching to the Corinthians, I mean, I was on Mars Hill. I stood on Mars Hill a month ago. It was pretty awesome when he's preaching, you know, Christianity the thing that Christianity brought to the world in a ethical sense is morality. This one, right. why one man, one woman. And it's really interesting, man. It, the guys that I know who are the most macho masculine alpha men, I, I know the guys who those same men also have the best sex. Those men happen to be men who are in married monogamous relationships. Are you finding that right. to be true as well? Absolutely. It says something about a man for his ability to maintain not not just be in a marriage because we got a lot of those 
who the wife is the yeah. is the leader. You know those yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. beta male marriages. No. Oh yeah. I'm talking about a man who is truly the head of his wife and the leader of his family. You can see, you could see him from a mile away, just the way his family walks with him and the way they talk about him. I mean, that's a real, real man. So on your website, you define the leadership as complementarian. And I, I love your definition. And I know a lot of people get bent out of shape about, you know, traditional roles, contemporary roles. When you talk about this complementarian relationship between a husband and a wife, what are you talking about? Know your role, play your part. Isn't it that simple? <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's really that simple. Batman and Robin, right? Like Robin's not going to try to be Batman and Batman's not going to pretend he's Robin. That doesn't make any sense. It's as simple as just knowing your role. But the problem is in our world, they perverted the roles. And so yep. men think they're the ones that are supposed to be nursing the babies and changing the diapers and, uh, you know, staying at home. And the women really believe that they're supposed to be CEOs and they're supposed to be out there championing big causes and, you know, leaving their children in daycare or, or uh, you know, waiting until they're 35 years old and their eggs are half rotten to start making babies. Uh, so the idea of knowing your role, which is first before you can actually play your part, has been completely subverted in our, you know, ideological subverted culture. So I've had guys go ballistic when I talk about knowing your role, specifically this role. I propose and I adamantly, vehemently stand on this fact that in the Bible that God calls the man the leader of the household, that that is his role. And the wife is Absolutely. like, she's right there, but his role, he's going to be responsible for the leadership of his household. And I'll tell you what we get guys. And that is a uh, complementarian viewpoint, right? That is his role. And people go crazy. How do you respond to people when they say in this day and age, hold on a second, we share equal leadership roles. No. How do you respond to that? Because when ish hits the fan, they always come <laughs> looking for dad. Yeah. Right. When, and, and I know that the world has changed so much so that even saying that is probably a little different. Everybody thinks mom's the superhero. Yeah. But uh, I think Stefan Arnio says in, in one of his books, he says that when everything is going good, when everything's easy, when everything's nice, everybody wants mommy in charge. But as soon as things get tough, as soon as there's a challenge, as soon as there's a bad guy banging at the door or food needs to be put on the table, everybody turns and looks at dad. The buck stops with the man. If you if. And, you know, the part of our effeminacy stems from our fall in the garden, because yep. when Adam didn't protect his wife by allowing the serpent in the garden, he then turns around. And when God asked him what happened, he says, you gave me the woman and it's it was her fault. her fault. Right then and there, we see the exact the, 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 the sinking into sin that most men will fall into if things go bad in their home. They, they look to their wife for why things aren't good. That is a bad place to be. I call that PMS, bro. Passive male syndrome. So, so the so <laughs> the Florida the hurricane hits Florida, total devastation, right? World news. In every scene on the news, who is out there cleaning the wreckage and saving the people? It's the men. And I'm not right. and I, it's not, I'm not bagging on women. I don't think women are weak. I don't think any of that. I just think that when the crap hits the fan men rise to the top because be, and not because they're better, but because that's how God made them. Right. He made them More that outward way. Outward focus. Yeah. And the world is saying, no, you can't do that. But the, but when 
the crap hits the fan. The world says, little help over here. So I, I just, I just love your view of traditional masculinity. It, it's very, very refreshing. I, I agree with it a hundred percent. And I just, uh, amen to that. Let's move on to area two. And, and I, I, I'm going to put two things here. So I'm going to ask you to unpack them. So on your, when I researched what you're doing and, and what you're calling men to, you had Christ is King and then reviving patriarchal values. So are those equal or those, how do those two relate to each other? Well, I'll tell you this, I'll go from the subversion up. So when the Marxists wanted to subvert the West or take over the West, because they, it was difficult for them to bring their Bolshevik ideas to a world that was uh, building a middle class. And so the class warfare issue wouldn't work. Uh, Antonio Gramsci recognized that he needed, it needed to be a cultural war. And he is known for saying that in order to topple the West, you must remove the father. Mm. And he meant this in two ways. It means you need to de-Christianize the West and you got to remove the father from the home. They're one in the same. And that's why I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up because patriarchy literally means father's rule. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. It means father's rule. And so God the father is the ultimate patriarch. And if we can remove the father's rule, then government becomes our God. And this is what we have today. And of course, if you remove the father from the home, well, now the government becomes the daddy. Mm -hmm. So the whole patriarchal system is turned upside down uh, and perverted when we remove Christ as our head as men and remove patriarchal values from the home, meaning where is your father? Why isn't your father a active father? You said passive, active father. Yeah. Why are fathers so passive? Why are fathers so weak? Why are fathers so not present? Why are fathers seemingly so easily disposed of is another question. To Absolutely. Ask. Well, it's all because of a designed takedown that is basically got us to the crap hole that we're in right now. There's a world view, that, view that's crept into our world. Uh, I call it critical theory or social justice, and it's basically yes. saying exactly what you're saying. And we've got and we've got to call it what it is and go back to uh, our biblical values. You know, back in the day uh, when Jesus was walking this planet, the Romans had a, a, a thing in Latin called patria potestas, and it means the potency of the father. He literally had the power to execute children who were disobedient, execute his wife. You know, Paul came in, turned that on his head, and he said that now is going to be servant leadership, not, uh, not, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, dictate, dictator, a dictator leader. So he turned that right. around. And so, but that, that hasn't, doesn't change the fact that God has called us to be the patriarchs of our patriarchs of our family. In fact, our right. ministry men in the arena, uh, was almost called the patriarch renewal movement. I mean, I'm just a big fan. And so, I like so I like this. So when you talk about this patriarch, uh, these patriarchal values, you know, feminism, and you went back to the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s, feminism has and continues to vilify the word patriarch as evil. What do you say about that? Well, it's because they don't understand patriarchy. They don't understand yeah. fatherhood. They don't understand families. And most of the early feminists came from destroyed homes, you know, yeah. weak fathers or, um, you know, mentally disturbed. This is all documented. These women come from bad families and so what they evil people who've grown up in evil do is they project that evil outward into the yeah. world so we know that what they believe and what they proposed and what we 
as a culture seem to have just taken in without question is that the very order by which Western civilization was built and became great is somehow a bad thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Patriarchy is, as you described, a servant leadership. Yes. It's, it's the man as head, but not for his own is his own grandiosity. You, I'm not leader in my home for me. I'm leader in my home to glorify God through what he's asked me to care for, which is this woman and our yeah, children. Absolutely. And so if, if we denigrate and tear down the idea of patriarchy, which is what we have right now, yeah. uh, we end up with what we have right now, broken, broken homes and a, you know, a degenerate culture. No fathers. Well, and it's, at, it's yep. seeped into our souls and our minds. It's not just a, a physical attack, but through the media, you know, we got the, the Homer Simpson sort of uh, archetype that has just become ever present. I was lucky that I grew up with my dad who was raised in the jungles of Belize. And I think that saved, I know for a fact that saved me from a lot because yeah. a lot of my dad, my friend's dads were fat and funny. And I used to wonder why, I'm like, why are my dad is lean and mean. He was mean, and my dad was always lean. And I didn't like it because it wasn't easy living in a home with a guy who's lean and mean. I wanted my fat, funny friends' dads. And now I realize, oh, they got that way because they grew up watching TV in America and going mm. to the public school system. And so they their their minds and their souls have been completely perverted. Well, you need you, you, so in January, a friend of mine challenged me and said, "Hey, I want to challenge you to sixty-five thousand push-ups in a year." And I'm a chess guy. I mean, I love push-ups, bench. I mean, that's so to me, the push-ups were easy, but the doing them every day was hard. So we're almost through this thing. I'm at 55,000 push-ups. Uh, we put it out there to our people. We had 400 men sign up, gave us their emails. We did a check-in two weeks ago, 41 guys left, 41 guys left. And it speaks to what you're saying, right? That this is the culture that we're living in. So I, I, so you said something that, that got me thinking. Somebody once said, as men go, so goes the culture. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. When you talk about men being the patriarch and being the servant leader, I found something that you said in a video, and it really impacted me. And, and I do believe that you are the first guy to ever say the strongest version of yourself. But what I'm going to remember you for is this statement. Are you ready? The dissolving of your ego. I had never heard that before, but it took me to Philippians chapter two, verse three, where Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So when you talk about dissolving, and I think you're talking about men here, when you tell men, hey, you're the patriarch, dissolve your ego. What are you talking about? So there's so much to unpack there. You know, you, you use that word of uh, um, humility, and I and I like that. I heard one of the best definitions. You know, not Webster's definition, but someone described uh, humility it was it was Bishop Barron, uh, Robert Barron. He said, um, "It's not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking less about yourself." C.S. Lewis quote. Awesome. Well, yeah. I thought that Love was it. amazing. Love it's not it. thinking less of yourself. Because to think less of yourself is to not really truly see yourself as you are. And, and being humble in more of a textbook definition is knowing your true state, knowing who, knowing where you belong. Really, that's yeah. what it is, knowing your state, knowing that I am not above God, which in our world 
we think we are. And so when it comes to being a father and being a patriarch, being a husband and a leader of a home, uh, you can't think less of yourself. You need, you must think highly of yourself. You must see the importance of your role and you must be grateful for the graces that God gives you so that you can execute with excellence. You want to do that really, really, really well. So you don't think less of yourself, uh, but you think less about yourself. Yes. Meaning, okay, well, this is not for me. This is not about me. This is not for my grandiosity. This is not for my self-gratification. This is for what's more than me, what's greater than me, what's my legacy and my soul, the salvation of my soul and my and my families. That That is so good, man. I, I'm just, it's really cool to get a guy in the room and everything you're saying is stuff I've written about. It's just really fun <laughs> to have you on today. I'm really appreciating you, man, and what you're doing here. So, and you're probably going, man, I didn't know that there's goodness all the way up in North west uh northwest oregon but man they're we're all around brother hey number three number three it's okay you can say it you can say it number three and this is interesting because this is the only area of the three that you work with men this will be the last one we talk about today area three i thought was interesting because you add a parenthetical statement now you don't put it in parentheses but when i read it i went oh that's a parenthetical statement so i want to ask you about why you did it because i think it's very powerful I think we've talked a lot about this uh, and here it is areas. So first of all, we, the first area guys going back is restoring traditional masculinity. The second area is Christ is King reviving patriarchal values and area four, area three is defending the family. And then the statement I put in parentheses is in this degenerate age. So you added that. Why? The degenerate age part, yeah. because the uh, the opposite of degenerate is regenerate or to be generative, which is life giving. Yes. There's no question we live in a culture of death and that is to de degenerate. That is to take away from life. Just think about the abortion issue or think about euthanasia. I, I read an article recently about uh, this person who was uh, sad, you know, they call it depression. And so the doctors gave this person the opportunity to, to kill themselves. We live in a world that does not value life. And if Absolutely. you don't value life as it is, you're going to denigrate the processes by which life, beautiful life, flourishing life come about. And so the attacks against the family and the destruction of the family is the most obvious strike to gener uh, generous generosity, uh, generativity, and the generational blessings that god wants to bring forth through us we live in a degenerate world which is the opposite of all those things well and it's really interesting when i when i look at the same groups and people who are degenerating the family who have a focused and clear vision to destroy the nuclear family and who uh call biblical masculinity toxic it's interesting to me, uh, DLA, that those same people are pro-abortion. Those same people are, are pro-euthanasia. They're, they're, those same people are pro-death. Why the discrepancy? It's, that's like asking, why is there evil? <laughs> right? it, it, and this is you know, another one of the subjectives of our world yes. where they try to say, there's, no, there's no such thing as good and evil. 
<laughs> well, let's put it this way. It, it, and there's different ways that we could put it, but life giving is good. Yes. Is God. God is always life giving. Life negation is evil. Anything that's taking life away, especially by the hands of man, is evil. Or better yet, order is good. Chaos is evil. And so if you just use those definitions, and some people might like not like to do that too, because then you know, they have subjectivity about that as well. Uh, the structuring and the ordering and the generation of life through family is a good. The breaking of gender roles, the dissolution of gender roles, the dissolution of gender itself, nobody even knows what a man or a woman is today, the destruction of the family, divorce, uh, abortion, uh, promiscuity through contraception. These are all sterile, yes, life-negating behaviors. Oh, well, that, clearly, that's evil. Well, you know, it's interesting about what you're saying is we live in a world, let's talk about sexuality, that you can be the pronoun thing. You can be a man, you can be a woman, you can be a, a pet. Apparently, you can be a pet. They're putting kitty litter, kitty litter boxes in schools now. Uh, in our in Oregon, you can now that they are the, our governor mandated tampons in the boys' bathroom. So so we have all these options right now. We have parents. This is insane, but they're not saying a boy or girl till the child decides, right? So I'm reading a book, a secular book written by secular authors, as far as I can tell, the Heath brothers. The book is called Switch, and in it, they, these are psychologists and they study different different groups and different things. And what they determined is this that the more options that you actually offer to a person, whether it's in sales or whatever it is, whether it's in your right. own business, the more options create paralysis or an inability yes. to decide. And biblically, we know that when sin entered the world, options enter the world. So conversely right. to that, conversely to that, the fewer options that we offer, I make men strong, right? I mean, I'm going to offer you, this is what I'm going to do for you guys. One thing, we're going to make you strong. That brings freedom. Jocko Willink wrote a book called Discipline Equals Freedom. Why? Because discipline says, I don't have 10 options today. What I'm going to do between three and four o'clock, I'm going to work out, right? The removal of options creates action. So that's what you're talking about here. You're saying we want, you're wanting men to operate as their strongest, freest version by removing all of these peripheral things and focusing on the most important things. Absolutely. Yes, so, sir, man, this is so good. So, Hey, I've done everything today except for talk, uh, except actually talk about your passion and what you're offering to men. I saw a couple things online. I saw this 21 conference. Can you talk to us about what you're offering men who, who call upon you for help? Well, one of the ills of today is the lack of initiation for men. The rites of passage that cross-culturally anthrop anthropologists have understood that no matter where they went and throughout all of history, there was always a deliberate process instilled that was available to bring 
men out of boys mm -hmm. to transition boys into manhood. So with a woman, it happens very simply through nature. They call it her period. Well, yes. that's it. Done. End of sentence. It doesn't happen the same way for a boy. And it, and there's also a very, there's a difference between the evolution of a, of a boy and a girl, meaning that they both come out of the womb the same. They both come out not knowing that they are separate egos from their mothers. And then there's a love object relation loss when the child begins to recognize, oh, I'm not my mother. She's over there. I'm over here. And so there's there's a there's a, a trauma of sorts, but there's a separation that's normal and natural. And the child then develops its own ego for a girl that happens once for a boy that happens twice for a boy that happens around the age of four, where he then has to have a, another. It happens three times, multiple times anyway. A lot of times throughout the life, let me say that. <laughs> but that second one is another big one that if it's not done, pervert all the rest. And that is when he begins to recognize, oh, I'm not only not just my mother, but mom's a female, mom's a woman, mom's mm -hmm. a girl, I'm a boy. And that can be traumatic if there's no image of the father for him to mm. mirror and to be mirrored by. And so that, that first initiation is, you know, uh, omnipresent in our culture. But then another one happens about 10 years later, between the ages of 12 and 14, where testosterone starts to rise up in the boy's body. And so this is an, another very obvious initiation, but what I've discovered is that it's, it's ongoing, um, where the movement then, and is always away from the world of the mother and an atonement with the world of the father. So I'm kind of speaking all over the place, mm -hmm. but the general, the general pattern of initiation no matter when it is in your life, where it's happened in history or where on the planet it's happened, according to anthropologists, there's always a movement away from the world of the mother. So literally the mother, like we talked about at age four yeah. and, then, and then so on and so forth. But an atonement with the world of the father, the way that looks is a movement away from effeminacy, a movement away from pleasure, a movement away from addiction, a movement away from all the things that are reminiscent of mama's tit keeping me comfortable and weak. And so these societies understood that they needed to get the boy a clean break from the mother at a certain time in his life so that he could be a clean slate to receive the imprint of the father. There's no imprint of the father unless there's a clean break from the mother. Mm -hmm. That looks like a figurative and literal removal of the boy from the, the, the hut from where the mother is, the, yeah. the, the center by which the mother is, and he'd be taken out into the wilderness by the men. And so there was a removal from effeminacy, from weakness, from attachment, from childishness, attachment to mom, and then an atonement with the world of the father, which is the world of spirit, which is the world of meaning and purpose and, uh, and authority and, and, and responsibility. But this is an ongoing thing. So first of all, in our society, this never happens for, for boys. Most of our initiation is pseudo-initiation. Maybe your dad takes you to a prostitute, or maybe you, you, know, you have sex for the first time. Or and which is not an initiation; it's actually digs you deeper into attachment to yep. feminacy and, and a pleasure. Absolutely. Maybe you get into a gang. You know, there are some forms of uh, initiation that are helpful, but they're still pseudo, like playing football. You know, football. Yeah, you, you got to leave your mama. And you got to go to football two a days, and you're going to be around all the boys, and you're going to be around the men, and you got to you got toughen up. So that's a form of initiation. What I propose and what I'm offering in a program I call King Initiation is that two-pronged process. When you join King Initiation, you're going to go through a 21-day process where there is prolonged fasting, where there is austerities in the form of 
breaking free from uh, any kind of, we do semen retention. Stay away from porn, stay away from masturbation, stay away, you can, you can fast from sex, Paul says it in the Bible, fast from sex, even in your marriage for a time, but come back so that you don't, you know, stray. And then getting rid of sugar. These are just some of the ideas, some of the things, getting up at the same time every day, exercising every day. So we have 21 days of an intense breaking down of the baby boy ego that every single one of us struggle, even myself to this day. Food is an addiction. Mm -hmm. But then, and only then, is a man open for the imprint of the father. And then that's about becoming a kingdom citizen and, and recognizing God's uh, call for us in this life and living in a way that is, uh, that is dignifying and uh, glorifying of our Lord. And that's really, so I, I saw this on some of your videos, semen retention. Is that fasting from any ejaculation, marriage, sex, all sex, just you're not doing it for 21 days? Man, you'd be so, I discovered this with the guys that I mentor. So of course, masturbation and pornography destroy your brain. Yeah. Scientists have been showing us this, the, the, the neuroscientists show the brain of a person on porn. And it's like, yeah, it screws you up big time. You can't have normal relationships. Yep. So I don't have to go too far down that rabbit hole. But we also live in a culture where we are hyper promiscuous or hypersexualized even in our own marriages because of contraception. Everybody contracepts. If yeah. we were living the way God designed us to, we'd be very careful about when we have sex yep. because we'd be thoughtful about the fact that I'm open to life and that life can come forth at any moment. We'd have more, more children, which is a great thing. I think white people need to have more people, more babies in the <laughs> West. <laughs> That's why you guys are getting outnumbered. Have more babies. <laughs> has nothing to do with the, the border. Time, nothing to do with the border. You can take off. What was that? That's nothing to do with the border in Mexico. <laughs> right. Yeah. For, yeah. It's just compounding. Right. Yeah, I start having some more babies. It's kind of yeah. crazy. It's, it's it's the white people that are getting outnumbered and the ones that are having the least babies. Everybody else is having babies and the, <laughs> and the floodgates from across the borders are happening. And, uh, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a part of the deliberate takedown. And it's well, a I, I, love that, of the mind. I, I love that phrase, semen retention. I'd never heard that before. So that, that's really good. And I, and I want to go yeah, back. OK, to cool. You should do some research on it. There are myriad of benefits associated with it health-wise. Health-wise, um, I mean, you just, Paul in the Bible, he, what does he say? He says that, uh, look, I, it's better that you be like me, which was a celibate man. Yeah. It's better that you be like me, but if you must, he almost says marriage is kind of like, okay, if you're so weak that yeah. you must, well, then get married. Well, but even, even in marriage, he says that it's good to take a break. And a part of the reason why, now I'm talking about married couples, but I see these guys who are in these, you know, relationships or living together, they're not married and they struggle and they, and they ask me, you know, I don't know if this is the right woman for me. And, and all you got to do is say, stop having sex with Keep her. Your Just wiener stop your having pants. sex with her. Yeah. And then see what happens. These, their vision clears up almost instantly. Wow. Three weeks, three weeks. I didn't have sex with her. And it's like, wait a second. Why am, why am I still here? What am I doing with this girl? It's an addiction. Most of the time, these, yep. what we call relationships are sex addictions. Well, and I've got I've got guys calling me out all the time saying, "Hey, why is it wrong to live together? We we're we're in a we're married in God's eyes." I'm like, "Really? Are you? How can you be married in God's eyes living in sin? How is that possible? How can you be married in God's eyes if you never had a representative of God perform an actual ceremony like in the Bible 
that right. always that was that's what happened. How can you be married in God's eyes if you never had a crowd of witnesses to testify that yes, you are indeed married in God's eyes? But right. we all want the easy way out. So, and then Paul does say in First Corinthians seven, hey, maybe you should, you know, hey, it's okay to fast for a season from sex. So, no, that was really good, man. I right. appreciate that. I will look up that term. I'd never heard that. It hasn't made itself way across the country to the northwest, I guess. So, and I want to add, <laughs> I want to say this, man. I love what you're doing uh, with your initiation. Because we as men, our church does that whenever a, a young man is 18. We take him out to a retreat. We present him with this big knife with our definition of manhood engraved on it and do a whole ceremony. And it's so important, dads, that you bring your kids through this initiation. It is your job to do it. And when you're speaking, Elliot, it made me go back to the earlier part in our podcast. When a, a boy, when a child is born, when a young a young male is born, he has an attachment to his mother. His mother wants to keep him in her garden of Eden, in the hut. When that 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 young boy uh, realizes he's different than his mother, and he's actually biologically a male, and we as men need to initiate him at some point and bring him out of the right. garden and put him in the wilderness. Absolutely. And that's literally what the Spartans used to do. They'd put him in the wilderness, you know. So I think that's a great process. So how can our guys get a hold of you, man? How do they reach out to you? Uh, well, YouTube, you can just look up E-L-L-I-O-T-T, -T, Hulse. Uh, I'll be starting a new podcast. Um, I've already got a bunch of episodes. It'll be coming out next Monday. And uh, Instagram is where I am most active daily, you know, Instagram stories and stuff. And, uh, and you can go to kinginitiation.com if you're interested in learning more about my new program. And also elliotholse.com. That's right. So, so wait, tell me about your podcast. Is it a YouTube podcast only or what, what are you doing? Yeah, I just, I, I needed some help uh, in my production. And so I hired a team and they suggested, Hey Elliot, just do some long form rants. And so that's what, that's what I've been doing. I've been having uh, some local guests cause we're trying to do it like in studio. Yeah. And, um, but mostly it's just me going off on these topics related to making men strong again, man. Man, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. And, uh, man, thank you so much for taking your time to be on our show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, men, head on over to our website, menandarena.org. Grab your free copy of my book. Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. And while you're at it, sign up to join one of our many virtual teams all around the country by clicking our Join the Program button now. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.